Well, we are continuing our series. Uh, this is week three of our series called The Joy of the Lord. The Joy of the Lord. Um, and it's based on Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah 8.10 says this. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I want to be strong. Amen? Do you want to be strong? Do you want to be strong in the Lord to be able to serve Him well? You know, we are the light of the world. I've said this before, but that strikes me as possibly God's biggest mistake to make us the light of the world. Now, obviously, God doesn't make mistakes. But seriously, we're the light of the world. Look at us. That's a, that's a scary thing. We are the keepers of the truth of God. We are the ones who bring the gospel to life. We're, we're people who represent, we're ambassadors for Christ in this world. Man, I'm glad I'm not in the nursery. <laughs> Something's going on in there. It's good to have kids in church, amen? Amen. I tell this often too. I have a microphone, I will win. You know, I will be louder. It will work out good. So, um, but man, somebody's having a bad day. Wow. That's a rough one. It'll be nice. When we build the addition, the nursery will be downstairs and around. It's true. It's true. You know, it's tough being a mom because it's it's not that big of a deal to put up with somebody else's kids. You know what I mean? Like, I hope you've got enough grace to be able to do that. But when your kid is making noise, you're like, ah! You know, it's very nerve-wracking. So be especially nice to the moms who are dealing with uh, with screaming children. So, alright. I want Jesus to be strong. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. If we are not strong, Jesus is not strong in this world. Now, in the heavenly realms, Jesus is strong. How about here? How about in our world? How about in our families? How about in our workplaces? How about in our schools? How about in our church? Is Jesus strong here? Jesus is proven strong if His people are strong because we are His hands and feet. And if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then we need to get to deal with this joy thing, right? We need to get on board with it. Joy. See, it's all about joy. If, if that individual had more joy, we'd be all set. But we want Jesus to be strong. We need to have the joy of the Lord because that proves the Lord to be strong. How many people think that a church full of grumpy, nitpicky, you know, like mean looking people is going to help advance the kingdom of God? It's not going to work out real well, is it? No, that's going to be, I guess it's going to be a bad deal. How about a church full of people that just have an overflow of joy? They've got enough to share with you. They're not being beaten down by the world. They've got extra joy. They're not full of anxiety and fear and depression and they've got just joy overflowing. 
They've got that to share. Wouldn't that be something? What would families be like? Everybody's got extra joy. Churches would be strong. Marriages would be strong if there was extra joy. I see now how the joy of the Lord is our strength. Before I thought, what do joy and strength have to do with each other? Right? Isn't it more no pain, no gain, right? You know, that's, that's what I, you know, that's how I grew up. And so I always thought of joy as kind of like an unnecessary thing. We're going to get the work done. We're going to, you know, we're going to make this happen. There's all kinds of people are going to hell. We're going to get the truth out there. We're going to make it happen no matter how painful it is to do that. Right? I mean, that's only a reasonable thing. But then you realize as you mature in Christ, oh man, I need to have love in my heart. I need to have joy. I need to have peace. If I don't have these things, what am I telling other people to try to connect with? I need to have the light of Christ in my heart. And so I need to have joy. If we as Christians overflow with joy, it will change the world. It will change the world. What do you think of when you think of Christians? You think of joy. If you do, that's great. But the people out there don't. They think they're going to micromanage your decision making. You know, they've always got an opinion on what you're doing. They're kind of grumpy all the time. You know, and they're just icky people. Now, we don't want to have that be the light that we're shining. We want to shine the joy of the Lord onto the world. So this is a big deal. Amen? Amen. This is a a good one for me. Do you know a lot of times the preacher's preaching to himself? Did you know that? That's, that's, That's Joy, I want to get a hold of this joy. I feel like I've got a little bit of it. You know what I mean? Like there's sometimes where you can get bits and pieces of of what God has for you. You can get a little bit. You're like, oh, I tasted it, but I know there's more. I would like to really get into the depth and the fullness of this joy. And I think it would only help. It would help. Let's all get there. Amen? Let's get there. So we got four goals with this sermon series. Number one, I want you to get permission to seek out the joy of the Lord as part of your calling in Christ. It is a responsibility for you to have an abiding, overflowing joy in your heart. I give you permission to seek that out as part of your calling. It is part of what it means to be a Christian, to have that joy. So I want you to feel that permission because some people don't feel like they can be happy. Because they've been told if it if it seems like a nice thing, it's got to be a sin, right? Yeah, have you heard that? Well, I'm enjoying it, so it must be a sin. Well, I got to tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. We are told to have joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a it's something we should be seeking after. It's part of our calling. Now, there's counterfeit joy, and that's one of the other goals that we have is to have the wisdom to know the difference between the joy of the Lord and the joy of the world. You've heard people say you can't buy happiness, right? But you can buy fun. Right? You can buy a good night, but the next morning might be a little tough. 
You can buy fun, but that's a counterfeit to the joy of the Lord. We are all built to live a life of joy. God made us that way. And so we seek for those things, but if we seek them in the wrong areas, we end up with a counterfeit. So we want to have the wisdom to know the difference between the joy of the Lord and the joy that comes from the world. The third goal, we want to have access to this joy. We want to actually get it. We don't want it to be, well, Pastor Mike said I'm supposed to have joy. He's like, you better have joy, you rotten Christians. And then we're like, okay, I guess so, you know. And, and you, so you, now, you, now you have no joy and guilt, you know. We actually want to get there. We want to, how do we do that? And that, to me, seems like the tricky part. How do you get to an abiding, overflowing joy in your heart? How do you get there? Let's seek it out. Let's, let's work through it because I am convinced it's a battle to get there. It's not just hearing a sermon and then going, okay, I guess I'll be filled with joy now and then be being filled with joy, right? It's a battle. As we go through this, you gotta get out of Egypt. You gotta beat the giants. You gotta hang out in the promised land for a while to let the fruit come forth. Then you gotta stay there so you don't end up like Nehemiah having to come back. We want access. And then, once we get access to the joy of the Lord, then that strength that is, is talked about there in Nehemiah will come. We will have the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. And again, I want to be strong. I want us to be strong. I want Jesus to be strong. His hands and feet must be strong if He's going to be strong. So we must take the joy of the Lord seriously. All right. Last week we talked about Nehemiah and the history of the nation of Israel. And so we're going to kind of look at that again today. And the, the history of the nation of Israel, really, it's amazing how much you can map out an individual life through the history of the nation of Israel. When I was younger, a new Christian, I, I taught third and fourth grade boys Sunday school. I showed up for the Sunday school meeting and they're like, somebody who doesn't normally come to the Sunday school planning meeting, what in the world? You know, and I said, oh, I'll teach Sunday school. And they're like, you can have the third and fourth grade boys. I said, great. You know, and these guys, they were, ah. Oh. And I had, back then, I was even, you know, like more timid than I am now. You know, like I've got the same personality as Seth. You know, you might, I might talk. But probably not, you know. Um, and so these kids would do stuff, and I'd look at them like, "You're not supposed to do that." But I didn't know what to do, you know. So they're under, they're under the table, and I'm trying to teach them while they're under the table and all this stuff. And, uh, but we went through the nation of Israel getting out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. That was the curriculum, and I just thought, "Wow, this is amazing stuff." This is, this is like what I'm going through right now. I need to get out of Egypt and into the promised land. And it's amazing how, again, the, the history of the nation of Israel maps onto our individual lives. And so we're going to look at that because we want to get to the promised land. That's where the joy of the Lord is. That's where they were when they said that in Nehemiah. They said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were in the promised land. We've got to get there for that to be at its fullness. Now you can be 
at rock bottom and cry out to God and get a measure of that joy. Amen? You can be in a terrible situation, cry out to God, you get a piece of it, you get a taste of it, you get a start. But there's a fullness that we don't get until we make the circuit all the way there to the promised land. So, we got to get out of Egypt. Last week we talked about the uh, failure forgiveness cycle where you you fail. What do you do, Christian people, when you fail? You ask God for forgiveness, right? And then what do you do? You fail again, right? So then you ask for forgiveness, and then you fail again, and you ask for forgiveness, and you fail again. Does your life get better there? No. You are still in Egypt. You're just a forgiven slave. You're forgiven, that's great! But you're still a slave. You're still in bondage to that failure, to that sin, to that thing that pulls you down. You, you know you're supposed to get out of it, but you're stuck. That's what people talk about like addictions as bad choices. I tell you, addiction is not a choice. You are owned. You are a slave. You can't get free. That's why it's an addiction. It's not a bad choice. It's that you're owned by that thing, whatever it may be. So you've got to get broken free from that bondage and get out of there, not just be a forgiven slave, but get out of Egypt. Then you've got to get to where the giants are. Great! You know, Israel was a slave nation. How prepared were they to conquer a military powerhouse? They're slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. They were beaten down and told they were less than dogs their whole life. They were not prepared to battle the giants. Have you ever walked up and seen a giant in your life and thought, how in the world am I supposed to conquer this? How could God expect me to get through this? This is ridiculous. Well, the nation of Israel, they were not at all prepared. And God was like, you get those giants because I'm going to take care of you. I'll be doing it for you. You just go. And so it's a scary thing looking at those giants. You want to know what the difference is between slavery in Egypt and having to conquer giants? Slavery just happens to you. I mean, you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to go get it. It just happens. You end up in bondage. We're born that way. It's the sin nature. We're just there. The giants, we have to go to them. There are things in our life that if we don't take the initiative to get there and conquer those things, we won't be able to get to the next step. Where if you just sit still and try to be a good Christian, it's not going to do any good because the giant is over there. You need to go to it and conquer it. Amen? Amen. There you go. Good. Everybody's sitting there looking at me like... Two different things that can happen. One time I thought, you know, I would plant some tomato plants by the by the church. You know, I thought, well, we need some plants. That would be nice. I'm not a flower guy. Flowers are fine. But again, I'm more practical. What does a flower do? You look at it, big deal. A tomato plant makes things that you can eat. That's good. And so I said to the this guy from church, I said, hey, man, I... I think I'm going to grow some tomato plants by the church. And he's like, are you sure that's a good idea? I'm like, well, 
I like tomatoes. What do you mean? He's like, you really want to give people ammunition? I'm like, <laughs> so I was like, wise counsel. Heed wise counsel. Very good, very good. So when I get that look, I'm always thinking two things. It's, it's sinking in or they're looking for tomatoes, you know? Uh-oh. So there's those things we got to conquer. Then we got to get to the promised land. We need to live there for a while without messing it up so that the fruit can come. Um, let's pray just a little bit more. And I'm going to believe God to get through this next, this next part. Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you guide us. Uh, you don't just leave us down here to do the best we can, but you guide us by your word and you guide us by your spirit. Help us to see what you got for us. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to grow in you and take a step forward in getting to where you want us to be. So just bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Here's the quiz. What did Jesus come to save us from? He came to save us from sin. It's in the Christmas story and everything. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. She will give birth, that's Mary, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Wow, is there a lot in that. He will save his people from their sins. He is our Savior. The thing he saves us from is our sins. We're going to look at more than one way that he saves us from our sins. Now, of course, if you've ever been to church, you know that Jesus saves us from the condemnation brought on by our past sins. Amen? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because you want to know what God's plan is? God's plan is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. He wants to create this kingdom. And the first fruits of it, I mean, it's starting already. But here's His plan. He wants to have an eternal kingdom chock full of intelligent, creative, free-willed beings. He wants this kingdom to go on forever where there's no tears, no pain, no suffering, no sin, no death. That's what He wants. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? But what if we were there? What would happen to it? That means you need to be prepared to go eternity causing no tears, causing no pain, having no sin. Are we going to measure up to that? It's not going to work out for me. I, I, but I'm thankful for the blood of Christ. Because our inadequacy, our failure our inability to be worthy, to be in that environment, is washed away by the blood of Christ. And we are made worthy by His power, not by our own. And hopefully that's very obvious to you, that it's by His power, by His might, by His strength, not by my ability to earn the love of God. I just have to say thank you. And then try. Take another step. Take another step. Take another step. We want to get free 
from sin. We must be set free from our past sins or we can't be in the presence of God. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read a big chunk here. And I want you to think of what is Paul talking about when he's talking about people being slaves to sin and being free. What is he talking about? Let's read through this and see if we can get an idea of how this works. Romans 6, starting in verse 4. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We too may live a new life. Is that past tense or is that future? We're talking future. If we have been united with Him like this in in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Hallelujah. That's afterlife stuff. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. But we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. What part of that? That's us in there. <laughs> once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that, obey, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For example, you could take your hand and grab one of those flowers and give it to a mom-looking person who is timid and doesn't want to go grab a flower for herself. That would be an instrument of righteousness. Go grab one, help somebody else. Amen? Don't steal things with it. Give a flower to somebody with it. Instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? This is one of my very favorite verses. If you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slave to the one you obey. Who are you obeying? Are you obeying pride or are you obeying the scriptures? Are you obeying the sinful nature? Or are you obeying the Spirit? The one you're obeying, not the one that you talk about, is the one that you are a slave to. So we need to get free from that bondage completely. Whether you are, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, that's a bad thing, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
Is this talking about our past sins or is this talking about our future? We are set free from sin so we don't have to obey that anymore. Now we can obey righteousness and we can walk with God set free from sin in our future. So we're not just set free from sins of our past so that we're doomed to this, you know, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness. We are set free to not have to fail and continue in that, but to walk in righteousness. Amen? Amen. How you feeling? Anybody getting cold? Cold? They say, never ask people because they all say different things. What, whatever the temperature is, keep it like 72 and then we'll all be happy. How does that sound? 72? Woo! Alright, I just, I don't know, felt a little cold. Alright. Sorry, squirrel, all that stuff. It's amazing though. You can preach a great sermon. Somebody's like, I'm cold. And they don't pay attention. You know, they're busy with other things. So, yeah, it's the glare and all, I'm all glow. But yeah, now I've, I've distracted everybody myself. That's real super. But this is talking about the future. These verses in Romans chapter 6, they're talking about our future. What would it mean to you to not be a slave to sin tomorrow? What would that mean at work? What would that mean in your family? What would that mean for your life if you didn't have to fail tomorrow? People sometimes say, well, we all sin thousands of times every day anyway. That is not in the Bible. We have been set free from sin is in the Bible. And we have been set free, yes, from the guilt of our past, but also to not be bound to sin in the future. We have the opportunity to get out of Egypt and not keep repeating the same mistakes, falling the same ways, and ending up with the same problems. Amen? Amen. I got one more though. We are set free from the sins of our past. We are to attain to being set free of the sins of our future. The Bible says we're supposed to be perfect. I'm not holding my breath on any of you guys. Uh, and don't and understand who I am too. You know, they should call me Person Mike instead of Pastor Mike maybe. Uh, everybody's a human being, you know what I mean? Everybody's a people. Don't put people on pedestals. We worship the Lord. Um, so, set free from our past sins. We, we don't have to be in bondage so we can be set free from our future sins. But I, I believe we are also bound by sin in another way that's maybe even more significant than these two to how we're able to move forward in our lives. And this is being set free from the sins that have been committed against you. Being set free from the damage of sin that has hit you. And I've seen people carry someone else's sin through their whole life. Fifty years later, they're still different because of somebody else's sin. It wasn't their past sin. It wasn't something they kept repeating. It was not even their sin in the first place. It was somebody else's and it bound them. That's not a good master. 
somebody else's sin? I believe we can be set free, but it takes something. You know, I've always envisioned this as like a harpoon. You know, sometimes you get those word pictures and you got the you got the whale, you know, going through the ocean and you got this in my mind it's an old like 1800s ship with one of those harpoon guns on the front, you know, and they shoot it and they hit the whale and there's a a line connecting the ship and the whale. And from in my mind that's the sin that's committed. Boom. But there's a continual bond between the person who is sinned against and the one who committed the sin. There's a tether between them. And when you've been sinned against, I mean, you can be focused on that person and the wrong they've done to you and the problems they've caused and the ick and ick and ick, and that's that line. You've got to cut that line. And you want to know what God's plan is, His strategy for getting that line cut? You have to forgive them. When you forgive them, it cuts the line. You still have a harpoon in you, but now you can deal with it without it getting pulled around and all these issues. So you've still got a lot of healing that needs to happen. Because not only is there sin there, there's damage. So you, you need not, you need more than just to forgive them. Now you need healing and you need the renewing of the mind. There's all kinds of stuff that needs to happen. Because have you ever seen somebody, they go from one horrible relationship, they finally get the courage to break it off, and then what happens? They walk into the exact same thing. Why do they do that? Because they've been conformed to the pattern of the world. They're stuck in this and they just do that repeat cycle. We need to be set free from sin, other people's sin, the way other people's sin has molded us so that we can walk out of that whole environment into something new. Wouldn't it be great to get there? Is hearing a sermon on that going to do it? This is a big deal, man. This is going to take some time. This is a big thing. I had one situation where I needed to forgive somebody and it was a work situation. It wasn't even like a family situation. It was a work deal. It took me a year. But I was being honest about where I was. You know, I'd try to forgive and then I'd realize, nope. <laughs> Look in there like, oh, nope, there's still unforgiveness on that thing. And uh, you just realize you haven't succeeded yet. Still bound to that other person's sin. You need to get free from that bondage because the joy of the Lord, the promised land, is not there. Oh, now I better keep going. But just real quick. Sometimes people like that. Though. They get used to it. And they like, they're dependent on it. It's like a codependency thing. I'll tell you what, it's a bad, get it out. Cut the line. Work on getting healed and then develop into the person you were originally supposed to be, not the person who's been shaped and molded by other people's sin. All right. Let's talk about giants. So slavery, bondage to sin, that just happens naturally. We are born that way. You know, we're stuck there. We need to get out. We don't have to go seek out bondage to sin, do we? We just find ourselves there. These giants, though, we gotta go get them. You gotta go. You gotta go get them. Um, Second Peter, 
1, 5 through 8. Did you know there's more to following Jesus than faith? Faith is good. In 2 Peter, Peter lays out eight things. And we did a we did an eight-part series on this, <laughs> this little chunk of Scripture way back. But look at this. These are things you've got to go get. They're not just going to happen to you. And they're not things that, that overcome you that you need to get out from under. These are things you've got to go find. You've got to go get them. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And goodness, I think that's a poor translation. The Greek word is the word manliness. And what it means is, okay, you've got faith, now have the strength to do the right thing. You need to act out your faith. You need to have the strength to do the right thing. Rather than getting scared and not doing anything, you've got to step out. Have the strength to do the right thing. And to goodness, knowledge. You've got to learn something. To knowledge, self-control. Now you've got something to protect. <laughs> Keep it protected. And to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Or if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who wants to be effective and productive? And we have to grow in these things, but we have to go get them. Knowledge doesn't just happen to you. You have to go get it. Um, I am fortunate to be standing before you as Pastor Mike, a uh, uh, an ordained Preacher with the Assemblies of God. How did I get here? In 1998 and 1999, I was working as a bread truck driver and I went to work at 5. So I got up at 3.30 and did my correspondence classes. It took me 18 months, got my initial licensing, and then planted a church. But I had to get up at 3.30 to do that for 18 months. I had to go get it. If I had just thought, well, man, I'm so busy, I have to go to work at 5. I'm working 12, 13-hour days. I mean, that's why I didn't do it afterwards, because I'd just lay on the floor. And that was our quality family time. Dad would lay on the floor, and the kids would climb around, and I'd fall asleep. That was quality family time right there. And so... I had to go get that. What if I hadn't done it? I wouldn't be here. That's something you've you got to go get that. There's lots of things we've got to go get. It's, there's different stuff for different people. But it's not just about getting free from the junk that's laid on you. It's once you get free, now you have to take the initiative to go get some stuff. Because you've got to fight through it to get to the promised land. There are tools, there are things you need to be able to be there that you don't have you have to grow in them. We just want stuff handed to us. That's Mother's Day. That'd be nice on Mother's Day, right? That'd be nice. That'd be nice. How's something go on in there? Ooh, I'll let that one go. All right. You're not going to get to the promised land without going and getting it. The giants are waiting for you. You have to initiate contact with the giants. The bondage goes to you. You don't have to worry about that showing up. It will come to you. 
But the giants, you have to go to them. Now what has God called you to in your life? Has He called you to start a business? Do you know that God calls people to do things other than being missionaries? Some people think everybody has to go to Africa. If you're, if you're absolutely, completely sold out to the Lord, you have to move to Africa. That's just not true. Some people are called to start businesses. Some people are called to go to college. Some people are called into ministry. Other people are called to be stay-at-home moms. There's, there's lots of callings in the body of Christ. And that's, that's great. But you have to do the things necessary to get you there. If you're called to start a business, you need to learn about business. You need to understand what's going on. You need to see what's available out there. Maybe you need to get a job so you can start putting some money away so you can have some seed capital so you can get going eight years from now. But if you don't fight that giant, you're never going to start your business. And then you'll be crying out to God, how come you're not helping me? Well, whose deal is it? Whatever it is, Man, has God told you who you're supposed to be? Has He put a dream in there? If it's in there, you have to go get it. Nobody else is going to go get it. You have to do it. There will be giants in the way. Don't get discouraged. Man, pick that sword up and go. Alright. I'm going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. Next week, we're going to talk about the condition of the promised land. Now in Nehemiah's day, he was the cupbearer to the king over in Babylon and he asked, how's it going in the promised land? Do you remember how it was going? The Jerusalem walls were down. The gates were burned. Everybody was in danger. There was no security. There was no safety. Nothing, nothing good was going on there. It was just bad. What is the state of the promised land right now? After Nehemiah and Ezra put everything back together, it got going again. But what is the state of the promised land right now? What is the state of the body of Christ right now? What's it like? You know, I've said before, Jesus opens His arms to everybody. All the messed up, goofed up people, they get their sins forgiven and they're in. But then you got a bunch of messed up, goofed up people standing real close to each other. And what happens next? Get some problems. I am... I am, I mean, to a pretty real extent, the promised land is full of forgiven slaves and forgiven cowards. They won't fight the giants. They're running away. They're in the desert. They're forgiven, but they're not coming in. How do we handle that? How do we deal with that? What do we do? That's what we'll talk about next week. But today, I want to know where you're at. Some people, they're still in Egypt. They've never been forgiven. They don't even know what that means. I tell you what, the living God has made a way for you to be free from sin. Other people, they need courage to take that step. They're afraid if they try, they're going to fail, so they don't try. Other people, maybe they've been in the promised land, but they've slipped away. Like Nehemiah. He was in that point in history where they had conquered the giants. They had settled the land. They had built the temple. It was all going, and then it fell apart. 
and they were in exile. But Nehemiah came back. And you can come back too. Wherever you're at, I want you to search your heart. We've got the prayer team up here. If you need to know what it means to have your sins forgiven, the prayer team will help you through that. It's just a prayer away from having your past washed. If you need courage to take the next step, the prayer team is here. Come up, receive some prayer. Get some courage to go forward. You need to get back. Reestablish that relationship with the Lord. Should come up, receive some prayer, and get that going again. Let's close together. Heavenly Father, we worship you, we honor you, we thank you for your grace and mercy. You are mighty, you are strong, you are able to bring us through. Lord, we want to get to the joy of the Lord. We want to be there because we know that's when your light shines brightest. Let us be there. Lord, I pray for each one that, that feels like they should come up for prayer. Give them the courage to do so. Give them that goodness, that strength, that manliness to receive some prayer. Father, I, I, for each one that's in this place, I just speak your light over us. Let us receive what you have for us so that we can walk in your ways, not bound, but free. Lord, help us to walk out the life you have put before us. Let us walk in freedom and walk in joy. For all the moms out there, I just speak a great blessing, a great encouragement over you. Father, give them all a hug from on high and encourage them today. And let us walk in your ways as we leave this place. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. You can come down for prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord.